Um, I'm just going to pray for you and for everyone else as we prepare to hear from the Word of God this morning. Father God, we thank you for the fun and the joy, for the incredible time of worship we've already had, and we thank you that you've got so much more for us. And we ask that you would speak to us right now. We pray for my dad, that you would use him to share your truth with us this morning. And Jesus, I pray for each one of us listening that our hearts would be open and that we would receive from you. Amen. Uh, good morning. All okay? Um, are you warm enough because the uh, the heating wasn't working too well and... <laughs> I had, uh, I had visions of, of coming up here and everybody kind of being huddled in their, uh, their coats and everything else and speaking for about 30 seconds and saying, OK, let's go and have a cup of coffee or something. But uh, if you're not too bad, uh, we might last a bit longer. All right. How does God get stuff done on the earth? How, how does God get stuff done on the earth? I mean, some of you know the answer. It's, it's through us. But how does that process really work? So we're going to have a look at one story out of the Old Testament. Uh, it's a really, uh, it's a fascinating story, really. Quite a strange story in some ways uh, about a guy called Jacob. But I, I want to give you a little bit of background first. If, uh, um, if some of the, the ideas and things are a little bit unfamiliar. The Old Testament has got one purpose, really, and that's to point to the Messiah. And the Messiah is the, the Jewish figure who, was, who would be God's perfect representative on the earth, the one who would offer his life as a perfect sacrifice and would be able to uh, redeem and rescue the situation that mankind had found itself in and uh, really got, gotten ourselves in. We now know, we, we look at uh, that and we say, well, the Messiah is, is Jesus. Um, so the, the Old Testament does point to Jesus, but it points to Jesus because he's the Messiah. And because it points to Jesus, who's the Messiah, it therefore has something to say to us because we are called to be like Jesus. So when we read about characters in the Old Testament, then they're not there purely and simply because it's about us. Um, it's not actually about us. But it is highly, highly relevant to us. So we have this, uh, this character, Jacob. Jacob is part of a, uh, a lineage that stretches back quite a long way and, in fact, goes forward a very long way. And this lineage is carrying a promise from God about what he wants to do on the earth. And the promise of God is that he would in rescuing the situation, rather than being a distant God, he would be God who came and lived in individuals. And part of that process is that he would bring this particular family who became a nation into a, uh, a physical land, a physical space that was, on the one hand, a very real experience for them, but on the other hand, it was also representative of something deeper and 
uh, of a, a kind of spiritual nature that was an, an eternal promise for them, that there would be eternal rest, rest from the, the, the pressures of being in this uh, situation where we, we live in a... Uh, we live on a planet that is infected with what the Bible calls sin. We sometimes use that word, but equally it's selfishness and self-centeredness and doing our own thing and however we want to phrase it. It's basically not putting God in prime position. And into the middle of this story comes Jacob, who, uh, if you know anything about his story, you'll know something of him. If you don't know much about Jacob's story, don't just take this bit that I'm going to read and say, oh yeah, I know about Jacob because I read that bit, which is just about 10 verses out of his story. Um, go back and, and read around him. Work out what kind of character this is. Because basically, he's just not a very nice person. I mean, he's a swindler. He's a, um, he, he swindles his, his older brother out of his birthright and out of, uh, out of his father's blessing. I mean, his older brother kind of gives it up because all he's worried about is how hungry he is or, uh, or something else. So his older brother's very shallow, Jacob isn't shallow, he's just mean. And it ends up with Jacob having to run away from his brother, who rightly uh, wants to kill him. When I, when I say rightly, I'm not suggesting that that's a, a good response to your brother when he does something that you don't like, uh, but you get the picture. And in running away, uh, two rather incredible things happen to, to Jacob, one of which happens over a short period of time, which is, has this incredible encounter with God and God's kingdom and his, uh, the, the angelic elements of that. And this vision of a, a, like a staircase going up and down between heaven and earth. And, um, and it shapes Jacob because it reinforces the, the strength of the promise of God to him and to his family. The other thing that happens is that Jacob meets somebody who's a bigger swindler than he is. And he meets a, a character called uh, Laban, who is in fact a relative of his. And uh, Laban swindles him effectively out of seven years. Jacob just goes there looking for, out of 20 years, sorry, Jacob just goes there looking for a wife. Um, uh, but he, uh, Laban basically gets a 20 years service out of Jacob. But in this process, God is changing Jacob's heart. God is changing him from somebody who wants to grasp onto other people for what he can get to somebody who grasps onto God for what God can give. And that's... Sorry, not enough hands. Uh, that's where uh, we pick up the story. So this is in Genesis 32. Um, and Jacob is in between just having had an encounter running away from Laban, but he is going toward his brother, who he hasn't seen for 20 years, and he still thinks his brother's going to kill him. Uh, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servant wives and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Let's just stop there. Has that ever happened to you? You've been alone in a camp and a guy comes in and starts wrestling with you? No. It's an unusual occurrence. 
Because it's unusual, one, we want to pay attention to it, but also we don't want to dismiss it and just say, oh, well, that's weird, that's, that's legend, or it's, it's just part of, of some strange Jewish culture that I don't understand. Um, that's too easy. There's something really significant going on here. Um, so they wrestled until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Makes you wonder why he didn't do that straight away, you know, just kind of sort his hip out. And I mean, I know all about that. That's, that slows you down, believe me. Um, but he didn't, and we'll, we'll find out why later on. Uh, then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. I mean, he's been wrestling him all night, and he doesn't know his name. But he does know his name. Because uh, actually, this, this man is in some way, it's a representation of God. Um, I can't explain that fully, mainly because I don't understand it. But it, it is some kind of appearance of God as a man, and God coming to the earth to interact with mankind, but in our form rather than his form. Because you can imagine, I mean, God's infinite and wrestling somebody infinite would be tricky, yeah? Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Tom. Um, Tell me your name, Jacob said. Uh, Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he, the man, blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. And that wasn't supposed to happen. Nobody was supposed to be able to see God face to face. In fact, you, you go on later in the, in the story of these people and you, you come across Moses and Moses says, well, I, I want to see, see your face. And, uh, and God says, no, you can't see my face and live. So Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. And he names the place after the occurrence, which happens quite a lot in, in the Old Testament. Um, and the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. Then, uh, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. So, Jacob has this strange experience. Now, let's, for the sake of time, we'll just accept that this is God in some way that he is interacting with. What is God's purpose? What has God been doing in Jacob's life? I don't, Jacob's probably an older guy by this stage. And all his life, Jacob has been trying to scheme and manipulate and control and get his own way. And yet he is still carrying this incredible promise of God, which will not just affect him and his family and a nation, but all the nations. It's the promise that we, as non-Jewish people, have inherited today, thousands of years later. And yet this, uh, this person, Jacob, whom God has... Uh, chosen is I mean he's just not a great example you know you if he was in the church uh you know you probably wouldn't put him in leadership you probably wouldn't put him on coffee duty because he'd start charging money and um and yet God is determined to work with him and so he allows him to go through these Uh, situations in his life I think he even arranges for him to go through these situations in his life so that he begins to understand that he's being changed by God and what this story represents is is encapsulated in one sentence 
I will not let go unless you bless me. There's something really important here about how God accomplishes things on the earth and how we interact with him. Later on in the Bible, in the, in the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot about being bold and ambitious in our praying. He says, anything you ask, and I've spoken about that a number of times before, and he repeats it again and again and again in different formats. The question we always ask is, well, how do we know? How do we know what to ask? How do we know that the thing we're not asking, uh, the thing we're asking for is not just because, you know, we, we want something for ourselves and rather than it's something that God wants to accomplish. And I think there's a very simple rule of thumb here. Um, Jacob wrestled this guy because he was right there in front of him. He was right there in front of him. Now, how do we know what we have to deal with? It's the stuff that's right there in front of you. How do you know what God has brought you into to overcome? It's whatever's right in front of you, whatever the situation is. Sometimes those situations are of our own making and we've got ourselves into them, been there, done that, and suffered the consequences. Sometimes the situations are not of our own making and it would be really, really easy to blame somebody else and to say, oh, it's his fault or her fault or their fault or society or my family or the government. Uh, The government are good people to blame because they're remote. You're never going to meet them, so you can always blame them. Or it's, it's the church... Yeah, church leadership, uh, usually our fault as well. And what we can miss sometimes is that we're being brought into a situation because God wants to work something in us which is more beautiful than could be worked out in an easy situation. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Jacob. He has been through some difficult situations. And here, I don't... I don't know what was going on in in Jacob's head. I think, I mean, I've I've never been in an all-night wrestling match, so I can't can't equate to it 100%. But I think as the contest wore on, and personally, I do think this was a real occurrence, as the contest wore on, I think that there was something dawning on Jacob that this was more than just an awkward guy he'd met by the side of a river. And that he needed to hold on. Now, I don't have time to go into it now, but if you, if you read the overall context of what's going on, the blessing in particular that Jacob is looking for, and part of it, is just to, that his brother won't kill him. Because he still thinks, my brother's going to kill me, and, and he, he sends loads of things, including his wives and his children, ahead first. He thinks either he'll kill them first, and by the time he gets to me, uh, he'll have run out of energy, or else they will appease him, and he'll be pleased, and... Um, and I'll be okay. As it is, when he does meet his brother, um, his, his brother's delighted to see him and he embraces him and uh, all is forgiven, which is good news. So God's obviously been at work in Esau as well. But there is change that comes into Jacob because of the prolonged nature of the, the contest. What so often happens in our case is that we just give up. Uh, we get into a situation and it gets difficult and we do not persevere until the end and uh, many of you will have great examples of this uh, where you have persevered and you have kept going till the end and you've seen God come through but just because we've done it once doesn't mean we're going to be able to do it every time 
Just because I did something 20 years ago or 30 years ago doesn't mean that's what I can bring into my current situation. I have to remain with uh, a level of faithfulness and perseverance and determination. So this, this has been um, particularly uh, in my mind recently because we, we obviously, uh, like we're in this lovely room and it's nice and we've got David Birtwistle's paintings all around and uh, I, I, like, I like that, I like his, his work so I've been enjoying that. And if you get bored looking at me, you can just look at some of his paintings. By the way, if you don't know his work, look for the, the little uh, red man sitting down. That's his little signature uh, in almost all of them. Um, he paints himself into it. Um, that's by the by, and it's for free. No charge for that fact, okay? Um, we are entering into this process of seeking another home for the church, seeking another building. And... Uh, we had a week of prayer uh, a week or so ago, and one of the things that I asked the Lord for was that it would begin to lift our faith. It would begin to, to give us the sense that this was something God was doing among us. And I, I believe it began to do that for those who were able to, to be part of it. The question is now, where do we take that? How do we move on? And do we have the sense of God's purpose, that this is something that we need to see overcome, and do we have the, the revelation of God's love inside us that this has value and that God will do this? Uh, a long time ago, uh, I was involved with a project called Christmas Cracker, and we needed a, a building in the middle of, of town. And... Um, I had my, my heart set on a, a particular building and uh, the project was getting closer and closer and everything else had come together and was working out except we, we were all dressed up and had no place to go. And the, the more it went on, the, the, the fewer people I felt had faith for it. And <laughs> I have to confess, uh, I just thought, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but it feels like I'm the only one. In fact, one or two uh, people who I'm really close to afterwards, after we got it, said, I didn't think you'd get that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think you'd get that. And um, there was, but there was something got hold of me, and it, it was obviously the, it was the Spirit of God, but it got hold of me in that I knew it was going to happen, and I knew if it wasn't going to happen, I wasn't going to accept second best. So about two weeks before we were due to open, at some very... Uh, kind organization offered us a building which would have worked in a limited way but uh, I just turned it down because I knew it wasn't what I was asking God for and um, I, uh, I'm making this personal I, I'm not the only, I wasn't the only person who was praying for it it just felt like that I have to be, be honest and so it became a very personal struggle where I was <laughs> I did a lot of daft things. I did a lot of walking around the block of, of uh, the city centre, not because I wanted it to fall down, because that would have been a bit embarrassing and difficult to explain had it happened, but because that's where the building was. And I just, I mean, I won't even tell you some of the things I did because they are a bit embarrassing, but I was just determined that we should see God work in the way that I was asking him for. And I think for... It's not just about the building. I mean, buildings are building. It's a building. You know, it's just 
bricks and mortar and it's a place to be and all that kind of thing. It's more, are we seeing God take us further along this journey and are we allowing his word in us and his work in us to change the way that we are? Uh, I need changing constantly. Uh, I know that, believe me. Um, you know, it's one thing being aware of your weaknesses. It's one thing realize. It's another thing to realize that you've got further weaknesses that you're not aware of that everybody else sees that you can't do a thing about because you don't see them yet. Um, all of that lets me know that I have to have God's work in me and in my life, and that's what happened to Jacob. Jacob was not the finished article after this wrestling match, but something which had been his weakness his nature to grasp hold of and manipulate actually became his strength. It became a strength because he grasped hold of God and he would not let go until he saw not what he, so much what he wanted from God, but what he knew God wanted to give. And we see this, this principle echoed again and again and again in the Old Testament. Jacob, Moses, when he intercedes for the Israelites, if you know that story, uh, a bit earlier than Jacob, there's Abraham, he's interceding for a place called Sodom, which is uh, about to, to have a really bad experience, and Jacob, uh, Abraham is praying for the people that can be rescued from this experience. Um, Hannah, when she's praying for, for Samuel, there's an intensity in her. And then we see it in the New Testament, uh, as I say, Jesus teaches about it, but Paul also, we see into his life, and we see how he persevered and would not give up because something was working so powerfully within him. And my prayer for us is, it, I mean, the, the building is a representation of that, but it's not just about that. It's about how we move forward as a church through an uncertain time, how we move forward in, in developing... Um, new uh, leadership and, and new expressions of what it means to be church. My prayer is that God works in us through the sense of his promise and his word that he's placed within us. So for me, one of the big things, I mean, we called ourselves City Church a long time ago. Um, <laughs> it took forever to decide on what the name was going to be. Um, my very good friend Dave was part of that process. And uh, uh, so everybody, every time somebody says, we're going to change the name of the church, I said, fine, you change it, but I'm off because I'm not going to be part of that process again. But we called City Church. I think that's prophetic. I think we've got a call into the city. I think we've got a call to bring God's goodness into the city. Not alone, of course not, because there's loads and loads of other great churches in the city. But we're part of that process. We're not letting go. We're going to keep pressing in. And I, I have no idea what it will be in your circumstances. Some of your circumstances I have some knowledge of. There are things that you desperately need to see and you are pressing through to see those things. My encouragement is do not let go because God's purpose is to bring about his, his good, pleasing and perfect will in your lives. Uh, learn from Jacob, learn from some of the others, and let's see what we can uh, see God release into our city and through our lives.